If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Be Careful Out There. I'm Chris. And I'm Kelsey. And today I'm super excited to hear what story Kelsey has for us, but just as a preview for Monday, on Monday I will be covering the story of the JazzCon 4, which is a ship, and um, there will be mention of pirates in my story, so we have that to look forward to on Monday's episode. I have that to look forward to because pirates are my favorite. <laughs> I know, you love the Pirates <laughs> of the Caribbean movies. I haven't seen those in years. It would be really fun to watch them. <laughs> yeah, I kind of wanted to watch one the other day, and it was like the one time you weren't in the mood to watch them. Yeah, and the one time that you were in the mood. I know, because so I tragic. usually don't want to watch those <laughs> movies, and you usually do. <laughs> well, I don't have much small talk for today. Unless you have anything, I'm ready to dive right into your story. No, I hope everyone had a good Halloween. Mine was super uneventful, just delivering pizzas. Yeah, and nothing super crazy busy. even happened. Yeah, Halloween was super busy, and then um, we're recording this on November 1st. So yesterday was super busy for Halloween, and then today I worked a really long shift because someone called out. So yeah, that's why I don't have a whole lot of small talk. Like I'm just really tired and drained and kind of just ready to go to bed, but... At least I get to um, spend some time with you and hear an interesting story before then. Okay, I just hope it doesn't give you nightmares right before bedtime. Yeah, I hope not as well. <laughs> so before I start, I want to say uh, Be Careful Out There is a true crime podcast, so listener discretion is advised. Please be aware that this particular case involves gun violence, sexual abuse, 
and murder. Today, I am going to be talking about a married couple named Jose and Mary Louise, or Kitty Menendez. I'm saying that word. I'm saying the name as best as I can. I believe it is Menendez. I'm so sorry if I get it wrong. I spent so much time on pronouncednames.com. That's in like preparation. Your, your most frequently visited website recently. It really is. Because I want to get people's names right. Unfortunately, they were both killed by their two sons in their Beverly Hills home on August 20th, 1989. This case is an interesting one to me because I do feel like with all the information we have, it's still kind of shrouded in mystery, but you'll see what I mean by that later. First, I'll give you a little bit of background information about the family. Jose Enrique Menendez was born in Havana, Cuba on May 6, 1944. His parents were both athletes, and as a kid, he excelled in swimming, soccer, and basketball. At the age of 16, shortly after the start of the Cuban Revolution, he moved to the United States without his parents. This is always super rough, of course, but Jose was able to look after himself by getting a swimming scholarship at Southern Illinois University. And while he was attending school there, he met his wife, Mary Louise, or Kitty Anderson. They decided to move to New York together shortly afterwards, where Jose would earn a degree in accounting at Queens College. I'm not sure how he paid for it, but he must not have needed the swimming scholarship that bad. Good for him. The couple had their first son, Joseph Lyle, who just went by Lyle, in 1668, and their second son, Eric Galen, in 1970. And then, hold on, hold on, hold on. You said 1668. <laughs> in 1968. They had their, they had their no. first son in Literally. 1668, and then they had their second son in 1970, <laughs> 302 no. years apart. It's so funny because <laughs> I have a script that I'm working with, and if I type something wrong, a lot of times I'll say it wrong too. But yeah, it was 1968, not 1668. That's so funny. <laughs> And then shortly after Eric's birth, the couple moved to New Jersey and Kitty quit her teaching job to stay home with her sons. Meanwhile, Jose had been climbing in his career in the entertainment industry, becoming an executive at RCA Records. This afforded the family a very comfortable lifestyle, including a million-dollar estate in Princeton, New Jersey, that they got to call home, and Lyle and Eric got to attend Princeton Day School, where they developed their skills in soccer and tennis. Hold on, did I miss something here? I thought you said he was going to get like a degree in accounting and then all of a sudden he's progressing yeah. in a career in the entertainment field? Yeah, he was all over the place and I I feel like he just sort of stayed wherever he excelled. I don't know, it's, it's weird because I feel like he didn't have to climb for very long. Like that was the weirdest thing about all of this. Well... It's not uncommon for somebody to get a degree and not use it. I mean, True. this podcast is the closest thing that you've ever done to using your degree. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't really matter like what his degree was in. He just had a degree and, you know, he was a corporate executive. I feel like that's how that works. Yeah. And I mean, he could have <laughs> been like a CFO or something yeah. like that where he was using an accounting degree. It just really caught me off guard that you said in the entertainment industry because yeah. I was like, whoa, I thought this guy was an accountant. It really didn't seem like he was doing any accounting. He was actually signing talent. 
So, okay. Yeah, interesting. interesting. I, I don't know if he actually used his accounting degree for anything. So that's a good question. I mean, maybe if you're signing talent, maybe you can offer some advice about, you know, compensation and how it can be used and things like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm he, sure it helps somehow. Yeah. Maybe he wiggled some personal finance in there, like giving some free personal finance advice to some of the talent he was trying to sign. And maybe that caused them to buy into him a little bit. I don't know. Maybe he yeah. used a little bit of accounting in there. And but. I feel like just having that knowledge would also help you personally too. Like oh, it doesn't yeah. even have to do with your career. Like you said, just about personal finance. Yeah. Being an accountant is something I honestly would be kind of interested in. Like I love numbers, but I wouldn't really want to be going over the numbers of other people's businesses for them. It's like if I had my own business with a lot of numbers, I would love to be my own accountant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would save you a lot of money. So life looked pretty perfect from the outside because on paper, this family was doing really well. But Jose ended up having some kind of clash with an executive at his company after not getting the role for executive vice presidency. So he decided to just quit that job and move his entire family to Beverly Hills. There, he was able to start working for international video entertainment. The company was very happy to have him there because the previous year, they had lost $20 million. But in his first year, Jose was able to turn an $8 million profit, and the next year he doubled that. He was described by one of his workers as the perfect corporate executive. They said he had an incredible dedication to business. He was focused, specific about what he wanted from business, very much in control. He believed that whatever had to be done should be done with no heart if necessary. Okay, so it so, sounds like he might be a little cold, but it definitely sounds, just based on that that you just read, it definitely sounds like he's putting that accounting degree to work in order to be able to turn an $8 million profit. Like He's clearly, even if he is mostly signing talent or whatever, he's clearly thinking about the numbers and what this is going to cost versus what it brings in. So I, I can guarantee you, he's definitely putting that accounting yeah, degree to I wasn't, work. When you first asked about that, I wasn't really thinking about like um, just sort of like these profits that he was able to turn. So yeah, that's interesting. Like I just, that completely slipped my mind. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it makes sense that like a production company has to have a CFO. Like they have to have somebody to look yeah. over the finances and a CFO is an executive. So I guess that's just kind of what I was wondering is like if you knew what his role as an executive was in the company and how much that had to do with his finance degree. But yeah, it doesn't sound like signing talent would really be an accounting type thing. Yeah. But I mean, I guess accounting... had a lot more responsibilities too than I was aware of. Yeah. And also, I guess accounting would have to like sign off on sal signing talent. God, I cannot talk today. <laughs> accounting would need to sign off on signing talent because you need to know how much you can pay that talent per year. And then you have to have some sort of guess or estimate of what that talent's going to bring in versus what you're paying them. Yeah. So we know that he wasn't the best person, but we don't really have any specific details there. Probably just a cutthroat executive that didn't really know how to treat people. That's my guess. But that's what I found out about Jose's career. His personal life, it seems, had a lot to do with his wife and kids. They were described as one big happy family that would eat dinner together and go on fun trips regularly. However, I can say with 100% certainty 
that they were not a super happy family. When Lyle was a young child, his cousin Diane came to visit, and he informed her that his father had been sexually abusing him. Diane was concerned and repeated the information to Kitty, but unfortunately all Kitty did was call her son a liar. That was her response to the situation. I feel like that's not uncommon for a parent to dismiss a child as lying or having a wild imagination or whatever. Um, Something, an allegation that serious should always be taken seriously. That doesn't necessarily mean it happened, but it should be at least investigated thoroughly. It should never just be dismissed for something that serious. Well, yeah, her response was to call her son a liar and uh, take him into the other room. And then the cousin never heard anything about that ever again. Yeah, that definitely sounds super shady. And then also, at another point in their childhood, a different cousin named Andy was told by Eric that he was being abused. So the boys did both speak out about their father sexually abusing them as kids, just not to any great extent. They didn't tell an adult, as far as I know. And both of these witnesses, both cousins, did testify about this in court. So with all of that in mind, here is what happened. On August 20th, 1989, Jose and Kitty stayed home for a movie night while Lyle and Eric went out to the movies. The story that they initially gave is that they came home to find both of their parents shot and killed. Jose had been shot six times and Kitty had been shot ten times, to the point where they were both almost unrecognizable as humans. Several people who saw it gave this detail. Well, I'm guessing one of the first things that police officers are going to say when they're on scene or coroners or whatever is just that many shots, especially making somebody's body unrecognizable. You hear this with like stabbings too. If somebody's stabbed an outrageous number of times, it's usually something personal mm-hmm. and it's usually someone who knows the victims. Yeah. So I bet just right off the bat from this investigation, the police are going to be like, okay, this is somebody who is close to these people. You would think. On the phone with the police, Lyle said, they shot and killed my parents. He could then be heard saying, I don't know. I didn't hear anything. I just came home. Then he could be heard saying, Eric, shut up. Get away from them. So it seems like it was, um, he was kind of in a panic, he was in shock, or maybe he was trying to make it seem that way. I don't know. Later, a neighbor would say that she had seen one of the boys on the ground, rolled up into a ball and screaming in grief. When the police arrived on the scene, they did not do gunshot residue tests for Eric and Lyle, because the two boys were not suspects at the time. And... Yeah, I, I don't know why they would be at this point. If I was investigating the case, I certainly I certainly would have overlooked them as a possibility. Well, I don't know. After doing all the research for this podcast over the last few months, maybe I wouldn't. So just from the fact that there were so many shots fired and they were almost unrecognizable, me personally as an investigator would be assuming like, okay, this is somebody who is close to them. This was a personal attack. And these two people are the only two people on scene why not test their hands for gun residue, you know? Um, Because if it comes back clean, then maybe you have cleared them. Also, I don't know how well, like, washing 
gunshot residue off works like i don't know if you just like take a shower or like if you can wash it off or if it takes several days to wear away i really don't know about that i don't um, either i know nothing about any of that so i have no idea if if they did test their hands for gunshot residue and it came back clean i don't even know if that would necessarily clear them because maybe they could have washed it off i'm not 100 percent sure but because they're the only two on scene and it seems to be a clearly personal attack, I definitely would have tested them for gunshot residue for sure. And just think about that many gunshots. Like, it almost seems like they weren't afraid of anyone noticing. Like, almost like they felt comfortable, like, being able to get away with it. But the thing is, like, there was such a mess. They would have had to change their clothes and get cleaned up, like, really fast i don't know i i feel like that's why i feel like i could overlook it but i'm not a cop i'm not a detective fair enough hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. <laughs> so yeah, the boys were not suspected at this time, but the police looked into potential mob activity because of how prominent of a person Jose had been in Los Angeles. And Eric actually pointed the finger at a guy named Noel Bloom. He had formerly been in a family of organized crime And apparently him and Jose hadn't liked each other due to a business deal that had gone sour. So, makes sense to look into him. In the days following their parents' death, both Eric and Lyle moved around a lot between hotels, possibly to make it look like they were afraid of Noel Bloom coming for them next. However, Bloom denied involvement and nothing else came of this lead. And the police started to become suspicious of Eric and Lyle, when they started spending more extravagantly following the death of their parents. And they really did. When the inheritance money came in, they were eating out at nice restaurants. They went on a couple of vacations overseas. They bought some luxury items such as a Rolex, not to mention a couple of restaurants. This extravagant spending paired with the boys' obvious financial motive for killing their parents turned them into 
the main suspects for their parents' murders. Yep, that's definitely some big red flags. Yeah. And the police tried to get a confession out of Eric by putting a wire on his friend, Craig Signorelli, when they went out to lunch together. When Craig asked if he had killed his parents, Eric said no. So that didn't work. But eventually, Eric actually did confess, but he confessed to his psychologist, Jerome Oziel. This is interesting because I know this is a thing that can happen, but I've never come across a case where this did happen. Uh, To my knowledge, you can tell your therapist anything, and they aren't supposed to tell anyone unless you're planning on harming yourself or someone else. That's interesting. I wonder, and maybe you have this in your research here, but yeah, that's I was operating under the same assumption that it's confidential unless you plan on hurting yourself or someone else. But in this case, where they're confessing to a crime that's already taken yes. place, are they allowed to turn that over to the police's potential evidence? Yeah, so I, I did look up that distinction and that, that does still apply if you are planning on hurting someone or if you have hurt someone, like apparently that falls under the same rule. Okay, okay. So if you have hurt someone in the past and you confess that to your therapist, then they can still report that. Okay, good. Because if you confess to hurting someone in the past, but you're not indicating that you're going to hurt someone in the future, like you still need to be taken away (laughs) you know and punished for your crimes before you have the chance to hurt someone else so good i'm i'm glad it works like that that's how it should work i just wanted to make sure so yeah it seems like his psychologist actually could have gone to the authorities about this but he did not what he told his mistress judalon smith and then when they broke up judalon was angry with jerome and ended up going to the police to tell them that Lyle and Eric had been involved in the murders. So the truth did come out, like it usually does. Lyle was arrested on March 8th, 1990, and then shortly after, Eric turned himself in as well. And the meetings between Eric and his therapist, Jerome, were taped, and they were originally ruled to be admissible evidence for the case by Judge James Albrecht, but eventually it was determined that all of the tapes could be used as evidence except for the part where they had been discussing the murders. The laws are just super weird concerning all of this. Like when I'm going through these court trials, like a lot of things just don't make a whole lot of sense to me, but I'm like, oh, that's that's how it works. Yeah, it is super weird, um, but I think I can kind of make sense of this. Mm-hmm. So... There was a confidentiality agreement. Yeah. And the therapist could have gone directly to the police or the psychologist or whatever. um, And they should have. But for some reason, they didn't. And then they gossiped about it to a partner. who Which you're not supposed to do. Yeah. Which, you know, every therapist does that. Like every therapist that's married, they tell their spouse. I can't imagine one of us being a therapist and then us not discuss. Like, I don't. We wouldn't say names or anything, but I just cannot imagine that stuff not coming up. Yeah, and that's probably what happens a lot is that therapists probably don't give specific names or information like that, but they just talk about the stories that they hear to their partner or whatever. And then their partner probably 
shares some of those details with their friends or whatever and you know it gets out so i wonder how much that has been told to therapists actually stays confidential i would reckon i mean it's probably a pretty high percentage because most of the things they hear are probably pretty boring but let's say the top tier like juicy stuff Probably 90% of it they've told to somebody else. Is anyone listening who is a therapist? If so, um, let us know how this works. Like, I'm just so curious. Okay, anyway, back to what you were saying. There are a lot of laws about making sure that you're collecting evidence legally. And so because this was told to somebody who was told to somebody who was told to somebody that then became a lead that then took them to the tapes but really should have never gone down that path because the therapist never should have told anybody else. I could see how collecting that as evidence could be grounds for maybe a mistrial. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to use it as evidence in the main case because if they get convicted and then file an appeal and then the original case gets dismissed because of that faulty evidence or their backwards way of collecting it like that puts the whole case in jeopardy so it's better for a judge to say look we cannot use this evidence and let the case proceed on to where Mm -hmm. there's less likely to be a strong appeal which is basically what i was able to find out about it so yeah you're exactly right it was just a really messy situation yeah definitely It would have been much simpler if the psychologist or psychiatrist just went to authorities directly, and then it probably would have been able to have been used as evidence. Exactly. Either way, the boys had confessed to murder at this point. However, their defense lawyer, Leslie Abramson, really wanted to push the narrative that the boys had been afraid of their parents and felt like they had to defend themselves. There were obviously those sexual abuse allegations that had never been looked into, and both Eric and Lyle testified about all of this in court, saying that it had been ongoing, like, throughout their lives. They described their father as a cruel perfectionist and a pedophile. And their mother was described as an enabling, selfish, mentally unstable alcoholic and drug addict who encouraged her husband's behavior. And she was allegedly violent towards the boys as well. The prosecution at the same time was obviously arguing that the boys had just wanted the inheritance money and that was why they had killed their parents. And I just want to pause right here so I can give one of the trashiest trash takes I have ever heard. This came from Lyle's prosecutor, Pam Bosnick. She said that men could not be raped because they lack the necessary equipment to be raped. So fuck you, Pam, and I'm not sure who let you be a lawyer, but I hope you're not doing well wherever you are now. What the fuck? A lawyer said that? Yes. (laughs) What the hell? That's so fucked up. But anyway, the trial ended in both brothers being convicted of first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit murder, and were sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole. See, so if all those things happened with the sexual assault from their father and the mother being an enabler and things like that, like that's horrific for any child to have to go through. But there are a lot of children that go through that without murdering their parents. That's true. 
there's other ways to go about dealing with that and getting justice in the right way. Yeah, you're right. This was a super grisly and violent crime. And we know that Lyle and Eric were responsible. I just feel like we don't have all of the information. Like, I'm willing to ponder the possibility that they really did fear for their lives or at least their safety in some way and maybe thought this was a good idea. I'm not defending it. I'm just saying, think about it. They both made the decision to kill their parents, not just one of them. It could have been a cold-blooded murder, but I honestly don't think I know enough about what was going on in their family to determine that or not. I don't know. This is just a really weird one to me. And the whole situation just seems super sketchy. And, like, that guy from the mob was involved. Like, I don't know. Like, could there have been more people? Like, not in the murder, but, like, in their lives. And it's like he was a really prominent person. And it's like, I don't know. Did they have somebody else to be afraid of? Like, I just really don't know. Yeah, we don't know to what degree they feared for their lives. But for a crime this heinous, Mm -hmm. it would seem like for this amount of force to be used, they would need to be like actively being attacked and then defending themselves, which does not seem to be the case in this scenario. Because if your dad is coming at you with a knife and you shoot him in the chest... Well, that's Mm self-defense, you know, if you actually feared for your life. But if they're watching a movie and you shoot them in the back of the head, that is not self-defense in any way. I I definitely don't think you can call it self-defense if you're going by like just the pure definition of self-defense. But maybe there was some part of them that felt safer with their parents dead. Is what yeah, I'm trying to say. It's kind of like, um, I think it's often referred to as like battered woman syndrome or something like that, where a wife has been abused by her husband for years and years and years, and then one day just snaps and kills him. Yeah. And yeah. That's it, what I'm thinking that this might actually be. It could be something like that. But like you said, nobody ever investigated any of these allegations of the sexual assault. And it's like, how do we know the only two people alive are the two killers? And it's like, how much can you trust what they're saying? Did those things actually happen? Did they not? There's no way for us to really know. Yeah, there, there's just so much we don't know. They were sentenced back in 1996. And many people believe that they've served long enough. Not only that, but there are also people out there who believe that the boys didn't even kill their parents and that they just ended up having to cover for someone else they were afraid of. That's an interesting theory. I, I don't think I think I've it's ever just heard a that. theory, but yeah, it, it's, I don't know. It's just really interesting. I guess we may never know, but the boys still maintained that they did kill their parents and that it had been because of the abuse that they had suffered at their hands. They've tried several appeals over the years, all of them unsuccessful, but interestingly, there has been a new development in this case in the current year of 2023. So I said that Jose Menendez had worked in the music industry. Well, a Puerto Rican musician by the name of Roy Rossello spoke out on the Today Show, saying that he had been drugged and raped by Jose Menendez at the age of 14 when he had visited their home in New Jersey. So I definitely think there is truth 
to these allegations. And it makes me believe that it could have played a huge part in the murders, like they said. But again, there's a lot of mystery surrounding this situation because the only people that know all the facts are Lyle and Eric, like you said. You can literally only form an opinion based on what they have said and what they have claimed. Yeah, they you have to do that with the knowledge that they did shoot and kill their parents. I wouldn't say that it's unlikely that they were abused. Like I wouldn't I I wouldn't say like, "Oh, they're just lying to get sympathy and try and get out of jail or whatever." I believe the statistic is like one in two women have been sexually abused at some point in their life and one in three men. So, I mean, it's pretty high odds that there is a possibility that they were assaulted at some point. Like that definitely could have happened. It's just how violent the murder of their parents was. It just, that part seems unnecessary. It seems way too heinous and it seems like it could have been dealt with in a better way. But also with those kinds of things, it's like if you're not in that scenario, you don't understand. We were talking about this on episode a few weeks ago. It's like, if you're not the one in that scenario, you don't understand all the details, the fear, mm-hmm. like you you just don't know. Exactly. And, and they were they were very young at the time as well, younger than us. And so basically what the police have to or the courts had to try and figure out or decide on was what were their motives? Were their mm-hmm. motives self-preservation in which case They shouldn't go to jail because they were just trying to save themselves and protect themselves from future abuse. Or was it, we want the money and we can disguise our greed from the money with the abuse. And that there's no way to, unless both look like that's the situation. Like either one could could be true. Plug a computer into their brain and like download all the information from their brain. There's no way that you would be able to differentiate those two things. And I know. And I'm and still a, stuck on the fact that they both did it together. That is interesting that you said that they both did it together because you would think in a scenario like this, it would probably be more likely that one of them would snap instead of both of them. But also it could be individually they were each too scared to do anything about it but together they had the courage i don't know like it's so crazy it this story obviously makes you feel bad for the people who were murdered but then Mm -hmm. you wonder were they the bad guys and then you also feel bad for the murderers like were they sexually abused did they do this to protect themselves and now they're spending the rest of their life in jail but on the other hand you're like or did they just do it for the money it's just so confusing and i I think that's why this is such a popular case exactly and that that's exactly why i wanted to talk about um because there's just a lot to unpack here like usually i'm talking about just simple like cold-blooded murder committed by known psychopaths but there's just a lot more to this one was it murder did the boys just feel trapped in a horrific home life and if they really did feel the need to kill their parents to feel safe um I mean, they spent their life behind bars. Like, I just don't know how to feel about this one. I don't either. And I don't think this, I think this is one that people are very divisive on. Mm -hmm. And uh, I bet that there are a lot of people that are just always going to be questioning this case. Yeah, that's why it doesn't surprise me that there are people theorizing that they didn't kill their parents because 
that's just a natural thing for people to do with really popular cases like this. But I will say that if you're ever lucky enough to afford a Beverly Hills mansion, be careful out there. Well, I heard Link on Ear Biscuit say that the worst thing that can happen to a privileged person is you burn the roof of your mouth on hot food that you were too impatient to wait to eat. <laughs> and that's probably why you're privileged if that's the worst thing that can happen to you. I mean, this family sounded pretty privileged and uh, <laughs> I think what happened to them was way worse. Oh yeah, for sure. Sorry for those of you that didn't get that reference. Ear Biscuits is a podcast that I listen to with uh, Link and Rhett from the YouTube channel Good Mythical <laughs> Link Morning. Link and Rhett. <laughs> Rhett and Link. Hey, it's always said Rhett and Link. Okay, Did they ever I call had to give Link, Link and Rhett. I had to give Link his time, you know, in the spotlight. Okay. Good. You're the uh, only no, one that does. No, I don't think does. I've ever heard them referred to as Link and Rhett, and I don't know why I said that. Maybe It'd be funny if they changed their channel name one day to just Link and Rhett. I, I honestly think I just said Link and Rhett instead of Rhett and Link just because um, I was specifically talking about Link. <laughs> all right. Well, I think it's time to wrap this one up. If you all enjoyed this episode and you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And be sure to join us on Monday for my story where we cover the JazzCon 4 and uh, talk about some pirates. And give us a follow if you want to hear a new episode every Monday and Wednesday. And as always, be, be careful, careful out, out there. there.